22, we can't help but, but really think this, this year has been pretty chaotic, pretty tumultuous, you, you could say. Um, in January, you know, we, we, we're all familiar with the Omicron variant, you know, after the holidays and celebrating last year around this time. It was getting passed around 300 million COVID cases worldwide. And I, it, just thinking about the year prior to, to, to now, um, even in this time of Advent and thinking how hard the year has been, I mean, you had supply chain disruptions everywhere. Putin, he went and, you know, uh, uh, just started this war. And you had inflation kicking in, and our, our, uh, we were trying to readjust our finances, many of us. Um, and then even recently, Ian ransacked Florida. I mean, it was like, and, and I'm missing so many other things that happened this year. These are just kind of the, the ones that stick out to us here, I think. And don't forget, by the way, Elon Musk took over Twitter. That was, <laughs> was big. Um, some did not like that, some did. But... Um, all joking aside, those, those, those were major pain points felt this year. And in tumultuous, uncertain times like this, it, 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 it's, it's kind of the norm right now. It, it feels like, like we're just in it. You can't get away from the chaos of the world. And for us here on this earth, right now, us coming out of a worldwide pandemic and all the repercussions, I think it's okay to say that pain and weariness are just heightened right now. Many of you are probably feeling that even this morning. Funny thing, and I always like to start out with something as people, you know, we're getting adjusted here. We're, th- we're getting into this, this moment of, of hearing from God's word. So I, I, but I was thinking about something that could bring this out, and I, I, I found out that Oxford University Press, the publisher, publishers of the Oxford English Dictionary, they chose a word for this year. And uh, they did some analysis, they did a public vote, and when picking the word for this year, this is how they they go about it, they want to find a word that reflects the ethos, mood, and preoccupations of that particular year, and have a lasting potential as a word of cultural significance. So last year, the word was vax, V-A-X, obvious. This year, the word, believe it or not, is goblin mode. I know. Now, goblin mode, goblin mode. Now, I've never used this word or term before, and I bet many of you have not either or heard of it, but listen to the definition. I think it reflects some of the, the response that we can have after such chaotic times. Oxford defines it as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms, or expectations. It speaks of an attitude, an overall attitude of not caring what anyone thinks of you. And so you'll see this in mainstream media, or not mainstream media, but like on you know, Facebook Reels or on YouTube or just in our culture. People are just walking around like, I'm done. They dress crazy, their hair's all out here, think, you know, done. The way they act, just done. Like there's, 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 there's no boundaries because they're over it. They're over the restrictions. They're over all of this. And in some way, goblin mode is a response to those stressors. It's people are burned out. And many of us in this world are just so tired. We're tired of the, the, the news of shootings. We're tired of the political battles, learning of uh, leadership failures, learning of scandals over and over. And we just check out. We don't care. 
anymore, we're just done with it. It makes it hard to commit to anyone or anything when you're just burned out. And so if this is you, I think Advent is for you. It's a time to reflect and acknowledge our dependence on God who loves us, who pursues us, and who cares for us amidst a very chaotic world. And you may be on the other end of things. You might uh, feel that there's uncertainty in the world and you're trying to overcome all the pressures around you, all the expectations put on you in your own might and strength. You're stressed out because the world's falling apart. And you're trying to keep it from falling from below you. You you might be uh, building security in some way, stocking up your storehouses, the Bible would say. You're fortifying your kingdom to weather any storm that might come at you in the future. Again, I would say Advent is for you. And you may be like me, just feeling like you came out of yet another season of chaos, personally. And just looking back, did I worship through that? Did I turn to God through that amidst the hardships? And so as we wait and reflect on the Savior who has come and is coming again to restore this broken world, it's now that we claim our dependence on God. That's what Advent is for. And as we focus on our text for today, it's going to be Romans 8, 28 through 39, we'll reflect on the unstoppable love of God as we see three major truths. He knows what we're going through, he provides everything we need, and his love will not be stopped. Let's pray. Father, in this time as we are gathered as a congregation, as a church body, sitting under your word, may these truths inform us, may they change our hearts, and may you compel us to write action through them. In Jesus' name. Turning to verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. Paul says this as he writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, as I said a few weeks back regarding this verse, when someone is suffering and in the midst of pain and loss, please do not recite this verse to them thinking just saying this will bring comfort. And the sufferer needs to listen. They need someone to sit with. They need someone to be present with them, a hug, a prayer. And we most often do not know what they are truly going through, even if we think we do. You know that temptation to say, I know what you're going through. They don't need answers from us because we are not God. What they need to hear is, I'm sorry, I'm here for you, and I love you. And God knows what they are going through. And he will provide everything they need. And his love will not be stopped. So let me just take a moment and remind you about what Pete said about grief share. And I remember when the Mishlers suffered great loss at one time, I called up Pete. And I, 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 had, ne- I had not experienced suffering in my life. I, I, so I started saying that to him on the phone. And I said, man, I don't know what to say. I just know that I'm sorry, and I love you, man. And I don't know what else to say. What should I say? And then I asked him, what what should I say? Because I just didn't know. 
And he talked me through, a little bit through it, and we just chatted. But the words in verse 28, for our good, are often the ones we struggle with in times of hardship, in weariness, even in ridicule, and even when we're tempted to work toward building our own kingdoms of security. Are you, are you really working for our good, God? And Paul lays out a case of how we're to know that God is working for our good. As we look next in verse 29 through 39. That's where we're going to point today. He knows what we are going through. We're going to look at God's sovereignty and his humility. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, all theological arguments right here are kicked aside by Paul. There's no talk of who chose who first. There's no talk of, uh, is, it, is it total depravity or free will going on here? I, he's, not, he's not laying that out and, and putting them at, at odds. He's saying in God's sovereign, all-powerful determination, we're an integral part of his plans and purposes. Point blank. In God's sovereign, all-powerful determination, we are an integral part of his purposes and plans. And his plans and purposes, they're worked out as we are formed more and more. That's why he uses the word conformed. We're being conformed to look more and more like Jesus. That's what's happening as his plans are worked out. And why? Well, as it says, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many. Colossians 1.16 speaks to this. For by him all things were created. All things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, God is forming a people. It's the church. It's the church, and it's through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, that, the, that a way has really been made for us to join into the family of God. Look with me in some of the prior verses. Verse 14 of Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. By the way, it, sometimes it seems awkward to say, I'm a son of God. We think Jesus is the son of God, but we are God's sons. We are sons of God. We are being made into his image. Jesus the firstborn. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And by the way, here in verse 19, we see how we have a role in bringing restoration to our broken world. This, this creation that is groaning is waiting for the sons of God, us, the people of God, to be formed into the image of Jesus to go to work, to do and, and build and, and shape and help this broken world, to partner with God in his mission as, as restoration is coming and will come. In verse 23, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
And here it speaks of God just transforming us from the inside out. It's process, to be sure. We're being transformed by the supernatural work of God into brothers and sisters of Jesus, daughters and sons of God. Amen. And so when I say, or we say, hey, brother, I mean, that, that, that brings us, I mean, sometimes it's just a, a term, but it, it has so much meaning. I've walked in circles where they, they put brother or sister before each, everyone's first name. And that could be just a, a, a normal thing, like you get used to it, but it's, it's a term of endearment, but it's also a, a way of speaking the truth to one another. We are sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done. And so as Paul continues to lay out the unstoppable love of God, he, he summarizes how we fit into the purposes of God here by saying, look with me in verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so here Paul is saying from beginning to end that those who trust in God and the work of Jesus are integrally wrapped up into God's unstoppable loving purposes. God has worked everything out for us, even to the point that he entered into our world as a baby. I mean, he dwelt among us. He, he, he lived. He dwelt among us. He, he took on flesh. He humbled himself. The king of all creation humbled himself to be one of us. He entered into our sufferings. And he's not just sitting back with this plan unfolding. Like he didn't just do this in his sovereign will. No, he entered into what we are going through. And he dealt with the same temptations. He dealt with the same pain we experience. And then he walked to the cross, ridiculed, beaten, tortured, and murdered by the hands of his own creation. And he did it for our good. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. This is who we celebrate on Christmas. God's divine love is proven in the incarnation. God born as a baby. Consider the, the humility of God here. He answers to no one. He made everything. He determines all things. And what does he do? He crosses from heaven to earth and becomes a baby. And then as he gets older, he serves people. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He walks to his death on a cross. Philippians 2, 7 lays this out as well. It says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's all-powerful. He set everything up, and his plan will not be stopped. But he's also all-loving, see? We, 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 we see this as, as we look to the God who humbled himself in the incarnation, and he knows what we're going through in this broken and sin-sick world. Now show me a God. Show me a God greater in power. And in love. Show me a God who is, is all of this at the same time. His, his, his sovereignty is assuring. His humility is astounding. And his love is incomparable. You want a reason to believe in Jesus. Even if you don't believe, you want to believe. I mean, this is the greatest story ever. 
I believe it's the greatest truth ever. Next we see Paul then ratchets these truths up as if he couldn't anymore. He turns the dial even higher with a symphony of seven questions to show that God provides everything we need, even, even when we're tempted to believe that God's unstoppable love might be thwarted in some way. Number two, he provides everything we need. We're going to see God's mercy and provision here. Now these questions, they reinforce all that he just said as they, uh, as they highlight God's provision. Paul connects the previous verses by saying, look with me in verse 31. Well, what shall we say to these things? He's connecting it. He know, remember, he knows, he, he knows what we are going through. That was point one. And in light of God's sovereignty and humility shown and proven through Jesus, in light of his unstoppable love and plans and purposes for our good, here's what Paul says. If God is for us, who could be against us? Or the question in verse 31, it could be read this. Who's against us? Who is against us? And the answer is absolutely no one. No one. It might not seem like it, but everything, absolutely everything is part of God's plan and for our good. And it's hard to believe it in the midst of trial, but remember the character of God. We must rely on our God of love. And so that's what Paul does right here in verse 32. He's the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's pointing to the character of God here. He reminds us, look what Christ has done. Even when it looks as if God is distant, even if it looks like he's not working, he has worked. His promises are true. Look to Jesus. Eight years ago, some of you may know this, me and my wife, Becca, we found ourselves wrestling with these truths as we had a newborn girl who went without breathing for a time as her, um, the umbilical cord was just wrapped around her neck. I'm going to try not to cry while I say this. But, uh, she, was, she was blue. She was so little. She was so helpless. And I found, I, I found myself calling out to God to just, just help. But almost in the same breath, I was asking, why, God? Why? I can still picture myself saying it. And he saw our little baby. We saw our little baby. She was hooked up to all these wires and tubes. You could, you could barely see her through all of it. And I remember saying to Becca, I know God is in control. I know that he's good. But what I don't know is if he'll heal our baby. And it's then that Becca said the words I needed to hear. She said, I'm not sure what God is going to do, but what I do know is he's a loving God and he's good. And until God doesn't heal her, I'm going to believe he will. She didn't give me answers there. What she gave me were words of faith in God's time-tested character. She listened to what I was wrestling with. She sat with me. She cried with me. And then said that one sentence. It helped me to not cower and walk in defeat. 
As the next couple weeks went by, we slept in the hospital with only two things, two very powerful things that we could do for our baby. And that was pray and talk to her through the plexiglass. Her name is Grace, and like her name, she truly is an undeserved gift to us. And through the wisdom of the doctors, this new technology where it cools the brain and the supernatural work of God, Grace was healed completely. It was amazing. But I'm not sure how... Praise God. But, But I'm not sure how I would walk through this trial if God chose not to heal her. My only hope is that the alternate outcome if that were to happen, that I would move forward in life just still relying on the time-tested character of God as it's shown through his sovereign purposes and really in particular in the loving person of Jesus. And in verse 32, Paul purposely uses the words, did not spare his own son. And he's referencing, actually, another story of a father trusting God in the face of death for his child. In Genesis 22, we learn how in an act of complete trust and obedience to God's command, Abraham prepared an altar. He tied up his son Isaac. He put him on that altar. And then he picked up the knife to fulfill what God had told him to do. Sacrifice his son. And if you're not familiar with the story, you might be a little jarred by this account. We probably all should be, right? We just heard it a lot, some of us. But Isaac, he was the promised son born to Abraham and his wife. They were about 100 years old, and just Isaac's birth alone was a miracle. But also, that promise that God made up to this point in history, it required Isaac to live and have children. Everything that God had said was based on Isaac living and carrying on the lineage The whole nation of Israel, later we learn, comes from him. And fast forward even 2,000 years, Jesus comes from the lineage of Isaac, Abraham. And here in Genesis 22 is his dad, just following God's commands amid all uncertainties, trusting in God's sovereignty and his provision. Genesis 22, verse 10 starts. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing and seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided the ram, and God provides the sacrifice. And Paul shows us right here in Romans 8.32 that God provided his son. God provides. How we not graciously give us all things. And when it seems like all is lost, when, when the pain gets too high, when, when we're tempted to give up, when maybe, maybe we're tempted to give up on life, maybe we're tempted to give up on others, maybe we're tempted to give up on God, we have to stand on this truth right here in verse 32. 
He did not spare his own son. The love and mercy of God is proven to us as we look to the provision of God when he did not spare his own son. But then Paul continues his symphony of questions as he continues to show how God provides and does everything about our greatest problem. Look with me in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one, because it's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? No one, because Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from death. He defeated death so that we would not be condemned to death. And this person, this one, also sits right next to God in glory and power. All authority is given to him. Supreme authority. He's the one that determines these things. It's not, okay, thanks for saying that, maybe something. No, he's the one. Supreme authority, right hand of God, interceding for us. And, and even last week, Jerry mentioned how uh, uh, Jesus praying for Peter. I want to bring that up just to remind us here. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. he starts out, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, Simon Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now here's Jesus praying for him. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And we know, we know that his faith failed. But we also know that he turned back to follow Jesus, to strengthen his brothers. Later we see Jesus giving him the command, feed my sheep. And so also Jesus, he intercedes for us on the Father's behalf. And this, this is vital work of Jesus. It, it, it's going on as long as we're in need of his help, his comfort, his blessing. Robert Murray McShane, the beloved Scottish minister of the 19th century, I found this quote, I think it hits it. He says this, If, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. Jesus has taken our guilt, removing the shame, so that we might, that we might have peace even in our sin. We've been justified. He's taken it from us, this guilt. And he's taken away any fear of death as well. Any fear that we might have, he's defeated death. There's no condemnation. And Jesus is actively pleading our case as he intercedes for us to the Father for our good. He's provided all we need. And he'll continue to do so on and on and on again. And this leads us to verse 35. Paul's last question and answer. As he once again turns the dial up, he's, he's Turn it all the way up now. Volume's high. Uh, as, as God's love will not be stopped, he continues to show us that. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Talk about words of surety, confidence. And right here he's referencing Psalm 44. Look with me in Psalm 44, verse 6, just to start. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Now right here, the writer's speaking on behalf of the Israelites. He tells of their worship to God. And he reflects on God's help to them in the past. But next, the psalmist speaks of their trials, of their distress, of their shame, of danger, even death by the sword. Notice how many times, as I read this, that he puts the emphasis on God working these things somehow. Verse 9. But you have rejected us. And disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reveler, at the sound of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you've broken us in the place of jackals. You've covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul distinctively references this psalm. Let's move on, though, and we'll see. In verse 23, now, the psalmist, the writer, he calls on God, and he simply relies on his steadfast love. His unending love, his, his unstoppable love. In Hebrew, you call it his hesed love. Verse 23, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. See, God's steadfast love, it's been shown over and over again. It's been proven. And that's what the psalmist here and Paul are relying on. And we might be tempted to think that God is sleeping and that he's not in control. And what we see is the world raging on. God, why are you sleeping? We may be like the disciples. They were freaking out on a, on a boat in the middle of a hurricane-like storm. And what was Jesus doing? Take a nap. But all Jesus did was speak a few words. And the winds and the waves obeyed. It was glassy calm after that. God's in control and he knows intimately what we're going through. 
and he provides. He's giving us all we need. Nothing will stop his unfailing, unending, steadfast love toward us. And that's why Paul says in verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when he says that, he means there's nothing that will separate us. And so Paul's conclusion in verse 37 is this. Kind of sums it up. In all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's better to find ourselves vitally connected to God's mission and his sovereign rule. It's better to rely on the unending steadfast love of God who, it was him who conquered every evil. It was him who conquered every problem we face. See, we're more than conquerors as we find ourselves his sons and daughters. We're the recipients of God's victory over sin, death, and evil. And so Revelation 12.10 speaks to this some, I think. I believe it does. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He's the one who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. See, we are the conqueror's people. And we walk even into the face of death with confidence in his unstoppable love. In trials, we won't cower, but instead move forward in faith and in worship. In the chaos and and weariness and uncertainties of life, I mean, we'll find rest in God's provision. Those uncertainties and fears that we have, we'll trust in God that he's our fortress, that he's our strength, that he's our stronghold. Not all these other things we can acquire to just shore up around us. The love of God, the unstoppable love of God in Romans 8, it it brings our hearts to worship. But it's also love that compels us toward action. I just want to speak to that for a minute. 1 John 3.16, Pete referenced it earlier. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And just as God knows what we are going through, who in your life, think about it, who in your life can you listen to and hear their struggle? Who can you sit with and not give answers, but instead identify ways to love and serve them? You know, learn what they're going through. And just as God provides everything we need, who in your life can you serve? Who can you provide for? And when we lay down our lives, our personal ambitions, our schedules, our time, our energy, our money, really everything that we revolve our calendars around and our efforts, if we kind of lay down that, right? Those, that's our lives, all these structures and things that we, we all have on our, our plate, so to say. We lay those things down in, in some way 
so that we can walk alongside others in their struggles. Because we know it takes time. We know it takes energy. We know it even makes it so a lot of the things that we want to do can't get done. But when we do that, we are displaying Christ-like love. We're laying down our lives. And so to actually listen to our neighbors, to truly get to know them and their sufferings, in our busy, hectic culture of life, I'm sure, I'm sure this is why we're not seeing more people start to follow Jesus. We live hectic lives. I'm speaking to myself. You guys know me when I talk. I say this is the idol I'm fighting in my life. I get selfish. I have hobbies. All these things, right? The Lord's speaking to me on this. I could have too many hobbies, you know? We could tend to love our lives too much to slow down and actually listen to and serve people in their deepest needs. And lastly, as God's love will not be stopped, let's not treat people as projects. Let's play the long game. Amen. It's hard in a culture, though, that is just highly transient. It feels like everyone leaves all the time. You get to know them. You finally get in there. And they're gone. You've got to go somewhere, whatever, another state, another city. But we even have a church culture that encourages just a lot of various ministry involvement. And I don't mean just Gulf Coast, but you know all you Christian folk out there. I mean, you got this, this, this event, and you got this thing, and then you got to go to this party, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But consider how you could structure your life to get to know others well so that you could continue to invest in them with your life. Something that's helped me is I, I try to pray and identify a handful of people who already know Jesus that I can kind of walk alongside with. Just try to figure out who are those top five, and sometimes it's three. Some, it, I try to walk alongside a handful of people who are not yet following Jesus. I like to say, invest in the few to reach the many. But this number changes based on my seasonal life, my capacity, and even just, just if I'm believing in the love of God that helps me lay down my life, right? Like, I can get distracted, I can get lazy, I can get selfish. But to be, and, and, and to be clear, Jesus ministered to the crowd and he, and he ministered to the few. So it, it, our, it, it's going to look different, but our intentionality and laying down of our lives, we have to identify what that looks like for our various areas of life. May our love be unending toward those God calls us to. God, who are you calling us to? Um, we're going to have a time where the band will play for a couple, couple minutes. And I just want us as a congregation to pause, to reflect on some of these things that were shared. After a couple minutes, they'll start singing and you know, we can join in and worship in response that way as well. But just take a couple minutes and, and, and think along these lines. Who is God calling you toward? And maybe our church body as a whole. Or a few of us in this room. Or who are not here that are part of our church body. Maybe a neighbor. And maybe a coworker, Might be a classmate. And you may need to ask God to help you identify who you, how you will adjust your life in a way that you'll have time to listen and serve those God has called you to. So let's take some time and ask the Lord right now and just to reflect on these things.